God, we know that all good gifts come from you. That's what your word tells us. Even those gifts that are good, but we don't currently see them as good in these moments. But God, we thank you that all good things come from you. We do give you thanks for the many blessings that are in our lives. From the people who are rich them, from the privilege we have to minister to others in your name, just to be good friends with other people and to be a blessing. God, to the nation that we live in and the many things that it does for us, as well as the challenges it creates for us. God, we thank you that you've worked in our past. We thank you that you are current in our present. God, we know and we trust that you're going to guide us in the future. God, thanks for who you are. You're loving, all-powerful, you're true. And it's that you are compassionate, but you also hang to your truth and guide us into a better place. God, in these moments, we give you thanks. We pray for our two families that have lost parents this past week. We pray your blessings on them. God, we pray that their grief would be healthy, but that they would grieve because loss is always hard. It's part of the way you've made us. So we ask your blessings on the heels and on Peggy and her family, the coffees. God, as we go into your word now, give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, the Patriots got crushed by the Kansas City Chiefs, and there was all kinds of questions, and Bill Belichick had one of his famous lines when he simply said, we're on to Cincinnati, right? Well, I'm going to mimic Bill Belichick a little bit and say, we're on to Christmas, right? Thanksgiving's over. We're on to Christmas. You know, we're, we're, we've closed the door on Thanksgiving. Now we're opening the door to Christmas. And some of you have been hanging around for a while here, you know, um, and uh, at Hope Chapel, been, been through a number of Christmas seasons with us. And, and you know that I had this love-hate relationship with Christmas. You know, and, and the hate part is really that, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's anywhere from four to five Sundays, right? Kind of depending on how the calendar things. And everybody expects you to preach Christmas sermons, right? And I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years. That's like 150 different sermons on Christmas. I mean, I think the only thing I haven't talked about is like how big are the camel's hooves that, you know, that brought the wise men or something. You know, what new can you say that people haven't already heard before? And some of you are kind of got dragged out to church for the, you know, you're here for Thanksgiving, visiting your mom and dad or whatever, and they dragged you to come, and, and we're going to preach this kind of a sermon, you're going to say, well, you know, they're still talking about the same stuff they did when I was there 20 years ago, and, you know, that kind of thing, and, 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 and so I had this love-hate relationship with, with Christmas, and on the hate side is that, you know, it's, this, sometimes it's hard to say anything new under the sun, and, and I hate to make the Bible boring, I think that's a sin, you know, and, and it's not like God gave us a lot of stuff to work with when it came to Christmas, you know, we got 18 verses in, first, in John. Mark gives us zip. The Gospel of Mark, zip, right? You know, Luke gives us not quite two full chapters. Matthew gives us full two chapters, right? So you got like three and a half chapters to work with, and you're supposed to preach on those five times a year, year after year after year after year, and I sit in my office and say, what in the world could I say that somebody hasn't already heard before? And so I have that, this hate relationship, but I got to tell you, I got a lot of love for Christmas. Because I got to tell you, if you don't get Christmas, you don't get Christ. If you don't 
understand Christmas. What it is that God has done in Christmas. If you don't understand all the pieces that go with the Christmas story, the virgin birth and the spirit of the Father and the birth of Jesus and being fully God. If, you don't, if we don't get that stuff, we really don't get who Jesus is. I think that a lot of our, the, the, I think the world in general, and I think even believers, one of the places where we go off the rails spiritually is that we don't really understand who Jesus is and that's because we really don't understand Christmas. And so, one of the things I, I love about Christmas is that Christmas is the foundation of the entire story. If you don't understand this, this doesn't make any sense to you at all. Zip, zero. You know, if you don't understand this, then the stuff in here about Jesus being Lord and Savior, it doesn't make any sense at all. And, and so part of the, the heart and soul of this whole journey is that Christmas really does matter. And I, and I want to do a series here for the few weeks that we have entitled Christmas Matters. And I want to talk about some of the matters related to Christmas to make a case that Christmas matters. You know? And so it's a little play on words kind of thing. And, and, and here's part of where, where I'm kind of coming at this from. You know, I read some statistics the last couple of weeks related to Christmas. And they say that Christmas, the vast, vast majority of Americans are going to observe Christmas in some form or another. They say those who consider themselves, themselves to be in the Christian tradition, Roman Catholic, Orthodox, mainline Protestant, Evangelicals, Pentecostals, and everything in between, those who consider themselves to be in the Christian umbrella, they say over 95% of those people will actually observe Christmas this year. Among the non-Christian population, the Jews, the Muslims, and, and the agnostics and others, they say that almost 80% of them will also observe Christian in some, Christmas in some form or another. They'll put up a Christmas tree, they'll put lights outside their house, they'll give gifts, they'll do all that kind of stuff. Even though, and, but what's interesting is that they're saying now that, that out of the, the vast majority of Americans who are going to observe Christmas in some form or another, a full 50% of them will have nothing to do with religion and with faith. So Christmas becomes a celebration of, of something else. A celebration of, I survived another year. The new year is just six days away, right? Or, I got through another election. Yes, I mean, you know, whatever. Or, you know, I just got my Christmas bonus. Yay, you know, or I'm still healthy, or I'm still married, or whatever. They find th other things to celebrate, right? Or I'm going to celebrate family and love and those kinds of things. And, and yet, at the core of it, the Christ in Christmas is totally gone. And I got to tell you, sometimes that happens in the church as well. A lot of us, and I'm not trying to be critical, just observe, a lot of us, we will give far more thought to what we're going to serve on Christmas Day and the gifts that we're going to put underneath the, the, underneath the tree then we are going to think about what God has done for us in Jesus. And some of you are having a real dilemma this year because Christmas Eve is on a Saturday, right? And then, so that means Christmas Day is on a Sunday. So you're thinking, you know what? We go to Grandma's house on Christmas Eve, so we can't pass that up, and we do this on Christmas Day, and so, you know what? We, we just won't go to church that weekend. You 
know, I know Jesus is born and he's important and all that kind of stuff, but we got our traditions, you know, we got to know, you know, and listen, I feel the same thing. I love getting up on Christmas morning, taking our time, having coffee, et cetera, exchanging gifts, et cetera. One of my love languages is gift giving. And you can tell my wife, it drives her nuts, you know, but I just, one at a time, around the room, and on we go. And, and my kids are like, can we get this over with yet? You know, and, you know, but, and, and yet a lot of us are so, well, I'll just go to church next week. Oh, geez, that's New Year's Day. I can't go on New Year's Day. So we're just going to go from the 18th to the 8th because we love Jesus and we're going to do Christmas the way we do Christmas, right? And we just kind of, you know, and I, I'm, I'm messing with you a little bit, right? You know, but it's easy for us sometimes to get the main thing, what really matters, kind of out of whack because we got other stuff we got to do. So I want to talk a little bit today and over the next few weeks about the matters of Christmas and why it really leads to the fact that Christmas matters, all right? And today I want to talk to you about the Christmas revelation. One of the matters of Christmas that we often miss is that God is in Christ revealing himself to us. The Apostle John, who doesn't tell us anything about wise men and shepherds and the, and the Virgin Mary or, or, or about you know, the manger, he, he doesn't tell us anything about any of that stuff, but he makes this statement at the beginning of his gospel where he says, you know, and the Word, Jesus, became flesh. And he dwelt, he lived among us. And we beheld, we saw, we observed, we saw the revelation of his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I know the words on the screen are a little differently. I memorized it differently than when you get on the screen. Hopefully they're pretty close to the same thing, right? Yeah, we observed his glory. The glory is the only one from the Father. You know, and God was in Christ revealing himself to us. Now, where this thought is, is, is expanded a little bit more is at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. And I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1 with me. You should put on a Bible underneath the seat, in front, underneath your seat. If you don't have one with you, if there's not one underneath your seat, there should be one, in the net, one next to you. And, um, and if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text today on page 1015. 1015. And I think this is an important word for us to get today because we, we have a lot of misconceptions about Jesus kind of running around and kind of thing. You know, Jesus is a teacher. He's our best model. He shows us how to love people or do this and do that, that kind of stuff. And, 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 and we need to understand who it is that God is revealing himself to be in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, a little background on the book of Hebrews before we dig into it a little bit, right? Because I think it always helps. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Most commentators, most people who really think about this stuff and care about that stuff would say they think it's either Barnabas or Paul. But there could be other options. We do know the reasons why this book is written. There, this is one of the later books written in the, in, in the New Testament period, meaning that you know, the, some of the earlier ones were like the Gospel of Mark and others. But towards the end of that journey, there were dynamics beginning to set up in the experience of the church that this book is trying to address. And a lot of it fell out this way is that as the church became stronger and became like an institution, the Roman government started paying attention to it. They weren't excited about it. And, and so they began to squeeze the church a little bit. And so they began to experience some persecution. 
Now, for a Gentile Christian, they didn't have a lot of options. But for Jewish Christians, those who had kind of followed the Moses and the Mosaic Law and all that kind of stuff, and now they were living out in the, in the Roman, they had come to know Christ, they had an option, they thought. I'll just go, you know, now that I'm a Jewish Christian, I'm getting killed. But when I was just a Jew, they left me alone. So I'll just step back into Judaism and kind of forget the Christ part. I'll just go back to the Mosaic Law and Moses and all those kind of traditions, and life will get better for me. How can that be a bad thing? So this author writes to them, and he's trying to make this single point. He said the difference between the angels and Moses and the law and the temple and the priesthood and all the sacrifice, the difference between there and Jesus, I mean, they're just not even in the same zip code. Jesus is so far superior to any of that stuff. You really have no choice. It's like sitting down to a Thanksgiving meal or going to the garbage dump and trying to find something to eat. He wouldn't use that language. That's my imagery for you about it. So this is how he starts, right? Hebrews chapter 1, just the first four verses. It says, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. He's revealing himself by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. He is the radiance of his glory. The exact expression of his nature. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became in rank higher than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. So let's unpack this just a little bit to make some application. Now, We've been doing a lot of exhortational, a lot of inspirational kind of messages since September. I know that this is more educational, right? We're, we're, we're talking more stuff than getting the, you know, getting the feel good out of all of it. But this is, I tell you what, if we don't get Christ, if we don't get Christmas, we're really not going to get Christ. And so I, I want to hammer it away at some stuff. So what, he starts out by acknowledging that before Jesus was born, God had indeed spoken. Spoke over a long period of time, best we can tell, about 1,500 years. And it, and it spans from Moses all the way down to the, the last of the, the prophets, which was some 400 years before the birth of Christ. And as he spoke to these guys, he spoke in lots of different ways. Sometimes he just spoke directly to them, and, and, and they spoke it to the people. Sometimes God spoke directly out of burning bushes and this and that. Sometimes God spoke through what he told the prophet to do. Like he told Jeremiah, I want you to go naked for a year. And he walked among the people, butt naked, for a year. I'm glad that's not my assignment. And I'm sure you're glad that that's not my assignment. You know, and so, I mean, God spoke in lots of different ways over a long period of time. All of that was insufficient to fulfill God's hope, plan, agenda, which was for you and I to have an eternal relationship with him. So it says, in the last days, in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And we could look at it. There, there are seven statements that are made about Jesus in this text. And, and we could pause and go through all seven of them. I'm not going to do that because we want to look at it through the lens 
of what is God revealing to us. So I want to talk about the nature of that revelation, some truths that we can grab onto. But, I mean, there's some great things. That Jesus is the agent of creation. John says the same thing in his gospel, and etc. He's also the sustainer. It's his word that continues to, to sustain the planet. You know, I, I was reading some stuff this week. I, I'm not much of a scientist and don't want to be much of a scientist. I got through... I, I got through I got through college without having to take a single class that had a lab. Yes. You know, so I, I'm no expert to talk about any of this stuff, right? But, but you know, they, they tell me, you know, if, if the Earth's atmosphere was just a little bit thinner, those shooting stars we see would be meteors that destroy our planet. They say if the moon was just a fraction closer to the planet or just a fraction bigger, the entire planet would flood every single day as high tide came. They say if the ocean floor was just a little bit deeper, all the waters would run to the two poles and our climate would be totally different and there would be no chance for life on our planet. If the earth is, is tilted at the exact right angle to allow there to be four seasons, and if it was just a little off one way or the other, we would just have either, we would either be an ice ball or the Sahara Desert over the whole planet. God sustains the planet through the word of Christ. That's a great message in and of itself. But here's what I want to pull out three things related to what God has, the nature of the revelation that God is making to us in Jesus Christ. He spoke before, he spoke through prophets, he spoke through actions, the parting of the Red Sea, and the earthquakes, and all that kind of stuff, and he's and he's spoken to the prophets and, he, and, and using them in lots of different ways. And he showed up in his son and he spoke. And, and here are three truths that we can really grab onto. First is that Jesus is God's final revelation. Jesus is God's final revelation. There is no more to come. Now our understanding of that revelation may grow. The application of that revelation to our lives may change as our societies change, as technology and other kinds of things advance. Certainly, what certain truths meant in the when it was the thousand A.D. is a lot different than it is in the two thousand A.D. But God's revelation is final in Jesus Christ. Uh, I see this in two places. Look at the beginning of verse two. It says, "In the last days." A lot of us want to read, well, we're living in the last days, and we want to think about that chronologically, right? That means Jesus is coming back soon, etc. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. He might be coming back 10 minutes from now. Some of you listen to my sermon wishing he'd come right now, right? So you wouldn't have to listen to him. I, I, he might, he, it might take 10,000 years before Jesus comes back again. But this I can tell you. Theologically, what God's going to tell us about himself, we're living in the last days. There's no more word to come. There's no more word to come. And any religion or any other kind of thing that comes along and says, well, God has added to his revelation, I've got to tell you, that's not, we're living in the last days theologically. And that started when a small child, conceived by the Holy Spirit, showed up in a manger in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. And it is God's final revelation to us. Another place where I see this. Look at the very end of our text in verse 3. It says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
He sat down because it's done. <laughs> Do you know in the temple there were no seats for the temple, for the, the priests? Because their work was never done. There was always need for more sacrifice. There was more sin coming. There was more animals that needed to be sacrificed to, give, to, 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 uh, to purify from sin and those kinds of things. And it just went on and on. So their job was never done. They never sat down because they were never finished. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father because it's done. That which needed to be revealed is revealed. It's done. It's finished. He sits down. Now it's a position of honor. It's a position of authority. That's how he controls the planet and all the different pieces. But it's also a symbol that God has completed his revelation. It's final. And, and this idea that, that you know, Jesus is his model and, he, and he's teaching us and we can learn and it's showing us more stuff. I, I, you know, Jesus is God's final revelation. He's, he's not a guide to us. He is God's display of who he is and we need to learn from that. Here's the second truth I want to give you. Not only is Jesus is God's final revelation, Jesus is God's complete revelation. Not only is he final, but he's also the complete re- Everything else beforehand, there were pieces missing. But here, we see that Jesus is the God's complete revelation. See this in two places. Look at the beginning of verse 3. It said, he is the radiance of his glory, and he is the exact expression of his nature. The latter part, you know, there's Church has argued about the nature of Christ, and you know he's he's in essence one with the Father, and et cetera. But I mean, he's a direct, complete representation, perfect picture of the Father. What I want to try to draw on is this idea of radiance. You know, you and I reflect the glory of God. Jesus radiates the glory of God. The moon reflects the sun's light, right? The sun radiates light. You and I, we reflect the glory of God. God reflects himself, reflects Christ through us. And in us, Jesus radiates the glory of God. Because he is God. You know, and, and, and he is therefore the complete expression, the complete revelation of who God is. Jesus looks like God in character and in his nature and in his righteousness and his holiness and his authority and the list just goes on and on. He is God's complete revelation to us. And the problem for a lot of us and for our world is that we're looking for revelation in the wrong places. You know, there's a powerful verse that we, you know, one of the verses that will clearly get read through our Christmas season. We'll say, you know, and it says, um, those living in darkness have seen a great light. That's one of the prophecies related to Jesus. It comes out of Isaiah chapter 9. Do you know at the, at the beginning of chapter 8, the prophet is saying, you know, people are looking for God. They're looking for truth in all the wrong places. They're talking to their wise men and their magi, and they're talking to the to their mediums and trying to get in touch with the world beyond and all kinds of stuff. And, and, and he said, all of that, everything that we can do in our human power, from the best of our education 
to the best of our innovation, to the best of our wisdom. You put all that together, and what does it all add to up to? Men living in darkness. And God steps in in the person of Jesus Christ, and the complete and final revelation of God shines in the darkness. Jesus, Jesus came to reveal God to us completely and finally. But there's one last truth I want you to see. Jesus also is God's redemptive revelation to us. Look again at verse 3. After he had made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus came to be a redeemer. The message of Christ when he came is, Man cannot save himself. God is going to save us through himself. You know, it's interesting, a few years ago, I came across that this, this week. A few years ago, the New York Times carried an article. That, and, and the theme of the article was this, is that the message of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, is that love triumphs. That sounds really good, doesn't it? I mean, that'd be good on a Christmas card, right? I wish you all the best in the season that teaches us that love triumphs, you know. And, you know, and I'm not trying to mock that because there certainly are ways where that happens and we can see that relationship. The message of Christmas is that you and I are hopelessly trapped in darkness. And God has stepped in with the light. That's the message of Christmas. Individually, And corporately, we have zero capability of generating light. And God has stepped in in Jesus Christ and brought light into the midst of the darkness. That's what Christmas means. That's, That's the matter of Christmas, is that God has stepped into our world to reveal himself to us, Finally, completely, and redemptively. There is no other way. Jesus is not a guide that shows us how to be good people so that we can go to... He's not. He is the light that has stepped into the darkness because we don't have any ability of getting there on our own. Even if he was blazing the path. We need God to carry us to redemption. It's a powerful word for us. You know, we, we... we really struggle with a lot of this. So Christmas matters. Christmas is, is, is God revealing himself to us finally and totally and completely and redemptively in Jesus Christ. Now, I promised you some so what's, right? I, 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 want, you to, I want you to say, well, all right, what, what does all this really mean to me, Right? And I want to give you just three simple kind of handles, right, related to this. Here's the very first thing, is that without Christ, you can know about God. But, without, but with Christ, you can really know God. Up until the coming of Christ, the people knew about God. But with Christ, we have the ability to know He is the one who invites us 
into the family of God. Here's the second truth I want you to get. Sin kills. It always kills. Sin always kills. You know, we, we think, well, you know, these are the big sins, these are the small sins, and I can do this, and this feels right for me, and maybe not. But sin kills. The, the, the very message of Christmas is that we are trapped in a darkness. Even the very best that we do comes up so short of God's standards, it looks like filthy rags, and God has stepped in because sin kills. The third truth. And I know this looks like a billboard you would see somewhere, but Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He has come to show God to us, die for us, that you and I might know God for eternity. Jesus saves. Just, just one last kind of application. You know, you guys say, well, you know, listen, we get up from go to church. I mean, we're not the people you need to be preaching this to, right? You know? Well, let me suggest that maybe there's a way in which we don't fully get the message yet. And there's some invitation for us here. If you would, just turn over to John chapter 8 with me. Sorry, John chapter 13, 14, verse 8. John 14, 8. I'm over 50. You're going to give me a little, you know, at least I got the numbers, you know. John chapter, this is page 916 in your Bibles. 916, John chapter 14. We're going to pick up with the 8th verse. But you get the context, right? This is the last night of the life of Christ. Lord's Supper's over. The Passover meal's done. Jesus has washed the feet. Judas is out looking for the people who can come and arrest him so he can get paid. Right? We're, we're in the final moments, right? The guys who are sitting around the table with Jesus, the 11 left, who are left, they've been with Jesus for a long, long time, right? And he's teaching them stuff, and they realize, all right, we're at the, we're at the, we're, man, this is the moment of truth, right? And, and so he's been talking to them about, you know, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, and, you know, there's going to be some rough road coming up, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, be faithful. And in verse 8, here's a guy who's walked with Jesus. He didn't go to just church on Sundays. He's been going to church every single day for three years, right? This guy, Philip, says, Lord, just show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time without you knowing me, Philip? See, Philip's saying, you know, give us the rest of it. There's got to be more. Tell us more. So, some of us are waiting for something more before we really get fired up to believe and to walk, Right? He says, just, just, we're just saying, God, you know, just show us, just show me something more. And Jesus said, you know, have you been coming to church all this time? Don't you know the one who has seen me has seen the Father? So how can you say, show us the Father? How can you say, well, God's got to prove something. He's got to give me more. He's got to show me more. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Can I translate this to our language? Stop waiting for any more. You've got it all. Make a decision and follow. 
you know, as the ones who've been hanging around and we've been hearing about this truth and that truth and exhorted to do this and God can do above and beyond and forgive and all this kind of stuff, we're, we're thought, okay, I, I, just, I just need a little bit, a little bit more. Jesus said, believe in me. You've got the revelation. Believe. Let's pray together. <sighs> got a lot of heavy meat on the table. Not a lot of dessert for us to chew on, the stuff that, that sounds great, uh, the stuff that makes us feel better. But God, in, in this deep truth, there, there's, there's life-altering opportunities. God, when we're like Philip, we've been hanging around and seeing all this stuff and hearing all this stuff, but somehow or another we seem to be waiting for more. God, draw that window to a close compel us to believe because it's been all you all the way along. You know, God, you could have stayed in heaven. You could have just kind of known about you from creation and a few things that you've given us through the prophets. But God, we are grateful that you cared, you connected, and you've come to us that we might see who you are. Father, we confess that we live in darkness. But we want to know the light. So we believe in Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen.